Hey, friends, we are following up with our last interview and podcast about the Ravi Zacharias scandal. We're not going to be harping on the same theme over and over, but we did think it was helpful for us to come back to not Ravi Zacharias the man, but rather the enablers and really the folks online who had knee-jerk support of Ravi Zacharias, even as some of these really unsettling bits of information started to trickle out. First, of course, there is the information related to academic fraud, then inappropriate texting and uh, non-disclosure agreement with somebody, and then it all starts to un- unravel and in such a way that really nobody can really defend him anymore, not even the organization. We are not focused on that. We are not sitting here just worrying about another hypocritical leader. What we're interested on today's show is something that we talked a little bit about with Steve Boffman, and that is the way in which you could study the comments to some of the things he's posted and really get a better understanding of the way evangelical Americans sometimes work uh, to defend evangelical celebrities, to defend people because they think they're on their team, and ignore really serious glaring red flags that should, should have been noticed and should have been spotted. We said last time that, you know, we're fallible human beings. We make mistakes in our judgment. And maybe you are somebody who hung on a little too long to the idea that Ravi Zacharias was was a little more saintly than he turned out to be. Again, we're not worried so much about that. We're worried today about looking at informal fallacies and the ways that these come up from time to time. In fact, pretty often online in the comments sections of these conversations in Twitter and YouTube. And the reason it matters there is because that is a public document. This is a record of the discourse that's going on. And what we find is it's really problematic. We, I, am involved in a lot of my life related to the liberal arts. Stacy and I spend most of our extra productive time serving in a liberal arts context, helping people to find agency in their lives, to find empowerment through critical thinking, even in a context that affirms the value of faith. But as we do this, checking our minds at the door, as Ravi Zacharias Ministries used to always say, is not a good idea. Well, let's hold to that. And here we go. All right, Stacy. I have a list of informal fallacies. Informal fallacies are more rhetorical than they are logical. They're not these formal fallacies. I think, how many did I come up with? I, I, I didn't use them all. Eight. So I have eight informal fallacies that we will get to in this episode. I'm going to look at Steve Boffman's YouTube video. And if you haven't seen it, you should go check that out. It'll be on our show notes at protectyournoggin.org, or you can just uh, find him online, the, the Ravi Zacharias banjo, friendly banjo atheist, um, Steve Boffman. Uh, and that video kind of lays out some of the big uh, important information related to the Ravi Zacharias scandal. But then what I'm interested in are all of the comments. Now, there are comments on Twitter, and there are comments in other places, but you're going to see here comments all related to this one specific thing. Stacy, how you doing? You, you doing <laughs> a little better since... <laughs> I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Um, you know, one of the things, too, is, I mean, this, like you mentioned, it's all written, so there's, you know, there's documentation. It's like, you know, it's, it's kind of out there, said, it's, you know, forever there. But, I mean, there's also... I mean, these are things that people will say, All you know, and, you know, if they're gossiping about something or they're talking about it, they're going to bring up some of these sort of arguments. So it's good whether or not, you know, it's not just the social media world where you're right. going to hear some of these things. So, uh, you know, honestly, it's a good thing just to, to know of some of these things and be able to stop it right in the tracks when it com- when somebody starts parroting one of these little types of statements at you. You could say, wait, 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 <laughs> what is, you know, this does not apply or this has no value. You know, we had a similar kind of in, investigation 
and engagement with people online, but it wasn't, in this case, Christian. It was hot yoga. Who am I talking about, baby? <laughs> Bikram. Bikram was another guy who named his organization after himself, right? So if you see Bikram Yoga, that's that's his name placarded. That's, that's the kind of narcissism that usually is a little fishy. It's a little <laughs> fishy. Um, and we engaged... hopefully well-meaning people that just were really angry at us for having a problem with them for looking at the facts and taking those facts seriously. And so this isn't just a Christian problem. And once again, it's people that have invested in, you know, this, the whole system invested in, you know, the training they've opened up their own businesses. They've very similar, very much made their life largely about this. And then to say that, the, the person who started all of this, you know, has some very deep, serious flaws, is very, very seriously hurting and people. And dangerous. And yeah, very dangerous. To you, but people don't want to hear it. Yeah. I mean, they've got too much invested. You know? Now, friends, as our friendly banjo Zen atheist friend Steve Boffman said, he doesn't think that this Ravi Zacharias scandal is an argument that Christianity is untrue. In fact, that would be an informal fallacy of its own, right? You, you know, just because somebody who, um, who affirms something is, is part of a group doesn't mean that they represent the whole group. These are fallacies of uh, composition, and uh, we'll, we'll get to all these in a moment. But Stacy, before we do, um, would you read for me something else that we saw online that I think helps kind of set the whole stage of this. And this is Kyle Howard. We mentioned Kyle Howard. I don't know him other than through Twitter, but I really have appreciated a lot of the things that he said with respect to trauma in religious circles. He has a, uh, he has 10 points that he makes in 10 tweets. And I, I know that it's, it's a little bit of reading, Stacy, but I really think they're so helpful that I want to, I, I want to share these with the audience by reading them. Go ahead. Start with number one, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. So number one, one of the reasons I remain skeptical as to whether or not abusive slash toxic culture will ever change within American evangelicalism is that the entire culture revolves around celebrity leaders and celebrity leaders are more loyal to celebrity machines than convictions. This is in sports. This is in the guru industry. But there it is. I think that's spot on. Yeah, and, and what is it with our fascination with celebrity in general? I mean, that's just something to keep in check. You know, if, if you're somebody that, you know, really loves some celebrity, just also realize that you might turn a blind eye to some of their faults as well and beware of that and yeah. not to put yourself in a vulnerable situation around those folks or those that you love that are around those folks. Number two, it doesn't matter the ethnicity. In fact, black and white celebrity preachers fuel and exalt one another it's all part of the machine when a white celebrity leader meets the baseline of faithfulness regarding race matters black celebrity preachers will champion them and vice versa the club is the club and sometimes people think that club's more important than what other things are in their life their other networks no doubt and then number three when it comes to issues of abuse or toxicity Celebrity preachers slash teachers will know full well that one of their peers is toxic, but the code is to support one another no matter what, and so they'll pretend to be ignorant and continue propping the other up. It's like the mafia. That's about one of the scariest. And very common. They know it, and they, yeah, it's just there's that code. They're not going to break the code. When when there's a, a, a code that you don't mm. break, that excuses very sick, unhealthy, mm. dangerous behavior. Mm. I mean, and the only reason to keep it is so you can stay within that code yourself. Yes. You know, that you will be protected this while you're is within you the code. St- we're going to see a little bit of this. Like, hey, I, I think you get this spot where you get to the spot where you see that people are strangely defending folks probably because they know they've got similar skeletons in their closet. And this is I don't want to name names, but right. I can see these coming a mile away. You know, I'm just waiting to see what the rest of this un- unveils. And so that code, you don't need that code unless you're up to shenanigans. Yeah. 
You know, right. I mean, the only way that that code is ever helpful is when you're going to get backed by folks when you need that support because you are in fact innocent. But hopefully, mm. hopefully that evidence will will be the proof that you need itself. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, number four, there's an unspoken code that says, I will defend and support you no matter what, and you will do the same for me. But if the evidence of your misdeeds become too overwhelming to dismiss, you got to take one for the team, and I got to act like I care about what you've done. <laughs> but the thing is, is you've got to take one for the team. What is up with that, though? You got to take one for the, no. You are up to the shenanigans. Yeah, right. <laughs> like take one for the team. Like, sorry, we can't sorry, defend you anymore. You, we're gonna have to you, let you, you know, f- you know, get hung on this one. You it, know, like it's like what, what they said. Of the, it's like what they said of the Spartans. They didn't get punished when they stole. When the students in Sparta, the young people in Sparta, were taught to be hardcore soldiers, they didn't get punished for stealing food from the cafeteria. They got punished for getting caught. Right. That's what. That's what this is. And that's what this is. And this is saying, you've got to take one for the team. We've got to let you hang when you when it gets too messy for us. And that is just absolutely ridiculous. It's, ugh, it's yes. Sick. Okay, number five. I've had conversations with black and white prominent leaders and have asked them point blank about other celebrity leaders and the reports of abuse or enable and the reports of, okay, sorry, number five. I've had conversations with black and white prominent leaders and have asked them point blank about other celebrity leaders and the reports of abuse or enabling. I've never encountered one who was ignorant. It's just their job to prop each other up. So they already know. Yeah, he says it's about relational power at the end of that same tweet. Oh, yeah, it's about relational power. I was just talking to my core history students today about Cicero on friendship, something that comes into a uh, a recent chapter in a book uh, that I wrote in a compilation of other uh, authors. But I was talking about the ethics of, of friendship, and friendship for Cicero is good, but friendship can be some of the most dangerous um, or friendships can lead to some of the most dangerous things in society when we don't pay attention to our fellow workers, whether you're a cop or you know politician or whatever, when they're doing something in unjust, or when you appoint people to positions where they're not qualified because they're your friends, this sort of thing. And we think, well, that's loyalty. That's not, that's not a virtue. That's not a Jesus virtue, loyalty in that sense, just to right. people because they're your family. Or your, or your friends or your tribe or something. That's that's not right. part of the ethic. I mean, I think there's, I mean, the, the part of the ethic that is strong is when you're looking somebody in the eye and you're like, that was not me. I did not do this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, but let's figure this out together. And right. when you believe that person and you go down this path mm-hmm. and you're going to really, you know, then get to the, the nitty gritty, that's important to have those people in your life. But not, you know darn well I did something. Mm-hmm. Let's all hide this together. That's not true friendship. Hey, and friends, by the way, like sometimes you got to tell your friends to turn themselves in. Yes. <laughs> but that's for their best yes. interest. And yes. that's their obligation at this point and because of what's going on. And if you're up to no good, you know, maybe you shouldn't, maybe you shouldn't ghost the people that are telling you, that are telling you the truth yeah. in love. If they're telling you in love, like maybe those are the only people that you can really count on. The rest of your enablers are actually letting you go down a path that leads to this. I mean, this is the right. thing. If you really want to be a narcissist and look out for yourself, how about you look out for yourself by surrounding yourself with transparent friends that are in a position to tell you the hard things that you don't want to hear. And if you out can't of, do that, you're going to destroy yourself. Out of love. Out of love. Right? Yes. Yeah. Well, regardless, even if you don't care about the love of these other people, getting critics in your life is a pretty right. hard but smart thing to do. Number six. And of course, once I even ask, best believe I'm blacklisted for having the audacity to speak on it. You either maintain the status quo or you're an enemy to the machine. American evangelical celebrity culture is not about the people. It's about the platforms and power. That's been the hardest thing for us, I think, that the we have not gotten as much heat from some of the edgy things that we'll say and do. Like things that I thought would be more edgy, you know, to some extent, my politics. No one really cares about my politics uh, until that I was messing like more with the Trumpist thing. Um, but for, for the most part, and they certainly haven't had too much of a problem, even with us like messing around with you know yoga and and the Tao Te Ching like you know we're cool we're not 
we're people know what we're up to for the most part. Like that we are, you know, exploring all these wonderful things, spoiling the Egyptians, as Saint Augustine would say. But the one place where I've gotten just unmitigated heat is whenever you touch the Lord's anointed. Whenever you touch these powerful men, it started when I was in sixth grade. You know, it was big with Ted Haggard, we mentioned, but you know, it's just like that moment when you're critical of a, of a celebrity is the moment where you really do get the heat. And this, of course, is what Kyle's saying. He's experienced. But yeah, it says you're an enemy in this one. It says you're an enemy to the machine. And so that whatever is there, that platform and that power that matters so much, right? That has nothing to do with the message, <laughs> You know, and, and being aware of that, even what, what is coming from that platform, like in that, you know, whatever, whatever power that that platform has, um, it's, it's bigger than the message at that point. I think yeah. when, when, when people are so quick to defend it and then label people as enemies to, you know, this type of thing. And, and I think here when it says the American evangelical celebrity culture is not about the people. <laughs> I mean, real true Christianity has everything to do with the people. Yeah. And people will say, hey, well, I'm doing this because we're proclaiming the message of Jesus. We're saving people from hell. And if we can use these big platforms, television or whatever, we're going to do it, everything, everything we can to get that access. But the true church always kind of realized that the Constantinian shuffle, that is, joining up with the seat of power is usually great for the power, but not so great for the church. It doesn't ever seem to pan out in the long haul, right? No, no. So if you really think that that's, that's how you're going to save souls, let me tell you <laughs> the number of... Thank you very much, friends, for, for writing in and chatting with us. On and offline, you know, um, and, 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 you know, I think it's a tough conversation, but I appreciate the support of friends that have, have given us encouragement. I'll tell you that the uh, the hard part is, though, that a lot of people that we're hearing from, they are struggling with their sense of balance. They're struggling with their faith. So you don't have to struggle with your faith, as Steve Boffman, the atheist, said. This isn't an argument against Christianity. It is an argument against the edifice that is this evangelical celebrity money-making complex. Because when you think about it, here's the deal. If you... We've been in this case all the time, Stacey. You've, you've got a responsibility. I've got to get people out to come to Qui Bono later today. It's going to be great. Our friend Dr. David Schultz is going to talk about Latour and flat ontology. And we'll probably get 30 people out, which is good because it's COVID and everybody has to space out. But ultimately, right, you want to get a lot of people to your event. So if I could get, you know, if I could have gotten a Ravi Zacharias to come speak, mm -hmm. I'd probably have the place packed and everybody would be happy with me. Right. Just at the basic level of my job. Right. And then more people would come check out the college and then they might come to our programs and then we would make more money. There's all sorts of ways in which money plays into this. So follow that money. <laughs> Look for the, the true God of, of, of mammon in that case. But when you're really living out your Christianity, it is the, the person to person. It's the, the people to people contact that really matters. It's, that's the kingdom that's of God. That's the whole point. It's not the big show. It's not the circus. Right. Number seven. I ain't saying all this to try and paint myself as some noble hero. Nah, yo, there's nothing I have done that in my mind is beyond the baseline of Christian faithfulness. I'm just a dude. And there are multiple, there are a multitude of others who've suffered more than me for going against the grain. Hey, he's just pointing out, he's not trying to say cry me river. He's just observing it. And I think that's important. Because we can withstand this negativity. It's not like we're all hurt about it. It's just fascinating and yeah. scary, right? Right. Number eight. With all that said, I think the culture itself needs to be crucified. It needs to die. And yeah, there is a need to dig in and define the culture itself and its elements more clearly so we know what exactly needs to die and most of it is gears that move behind the scenes. Mm. And it's really hard to get in there and do that surgery and figure out exactly where that is. When nobody really wants you to do it, especially, right? Right. right. And you know, that kind of reminds me, um, I had read, because uh, of something that uh, 
Lori Thompson had responded to in Twitter mm. that there was an article written by Dr. Brown and it's on uh, askdrbrown.org and basically he's responding he's, he's saying that after you know with the aftermath and the, the news and everything of the Ravi Zacharias you know scandal um and there's a lot of people I like that scandal it's like scandal <laughs> and scandal at the same time <laughs> I'm sorry I keep going scandal <laughs> but basically you know, there's a lot of people that are just sort of in this, you know, whirlwind of doubt, you know, what yes. I do with my career. So he, he writes sort of these 16 points in, in response to that. And there are some of some of the elements of it that, you know, are somewhat helpful. One of the ones that really struck me is, um, is you know. Struck me as problematic yeah, or good? Yeah. yeah, one of these, you know, a little bit problematic is. We're not huge fans of this piece is what we're trying to say. No, I, I mean, not not huge, um, because I think that it, it leaves out some very important things that need to be addressed. Okay. Um, and one of the points, point number six, is he says, and this is Dr. Brown, this is not the time to throw stones. It's the time to search our own hearts. Our ZIM is already taking massive hits, and branches in, of the ministry worldwide are separating or being renamed. There's no need for us to hurl our own self-righteous stones of accusation at this moment despite the ministry's past failures in confronting these issues they are making full concession now and they acted rightly by calling for a full-scale investigation so he's saying i don't have the need to pick up a stone myself and throw he said instead i'm going to look inside see where i need look at inside's good look at inside's good and definitely everybody you know should do self-reflection, figure out where their own lives are off, right? And I would say what we're trying to do even here on this episode is not to pile on, but to do the post-mortem. And I this think is the that, autopsy. And I think that's the point, because yeah. by saying just the that any of some of this sort of talk is a piling on, it's not really allowing us to investigate to figure out where all of the sickness is and right. that's and that's what i want to get at where is right. the sickness and then also the other the other huge piece of it is the victims themselves where you know we're, we're quick to say okay well don't you know don't cast judgment because you've got you've got issues yourself right you know for us and so we can't really criticize this ministry too much or whatever and you know it's like and they the victims end up just kind of like they kind of maybe listen, they maybe don't know if they believe or not or whatever, but mm. they kind of like push them aside and then try to go about business as usual. Mm. While those people are still hurting and they aren't whole again, and we and often Christians will want to start calling for forgiveness before the victims are even starting to even feel whole. <laughs> Why are you trying to make um, the ministry or the perpetrator whole before the victims can even start to get there? It just, it's, Anyways, that mm-hmm. kind of thing is really frustrating when yeah. when you use this argument that, you know, we don't need to pile on because we already know. No, no, no. We need to dissect this a little bit and figure out wh- what's going on. That's that weaponization of forgiveness. Don't, right. don't fix the problem because we've already gotten past it. We already said sorry. And by the way, I'd also say about that, there, there are better sources than us to, to look at the the bullet points in terms of the factuality of what he was saying there. It is true that a uh, the report was released. They didn't come out that quickly with their report. No. And the report was limited to just these allegations, not to the overall question of how things were going. And there were, were years and years that they turned blind eye, didn't listen to evidence, didn't even look or examine any of this, right? To allow it to grow into yes. the problem. There were some problems of transparency. Yeah. And if you ever if ever you're worried, oh, I don't like my ministry or my church having to deal with all this reporting or, you know, giving information to the public, it may seem like it's a drag. It is important that we demonstrate this for everybody right um as 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 especially nonprofits, that this this is something that we may not have to do as organizations but it's really important to have that transparency one last thing i do want to mention um is when he says here in this eighth point about the culture itself needs to be crucified it needs to die that reminds me of a talk that you gave and you said you know if the devil steals your logo you need to get a new logo yes. and so it doesn't mean even sometimes, you know, that the message itself, the, the true heart of the message right. is there's something wrong with it. But if if that if the message got taken over and got slapped Christianity on it and it's no longer mm-hmm. Christianity. Then you reform. You get back to the sources. Sometimes you need to yeah, yeah. 
get to what matters and drop the the logos and labels that no longer mean the right. truth anymore. There's always a chance that if you keep coming across this problem where every single time somebody's involved in a certain kind of religious perspective, they or, or very frequently or higher than the average that you have problems, you might find that there's something that's entailed, mm-hmm. right? There might be something about your ideology. Very soon we're going to have a conversation with Emily Joy, who's coming out with a book called Hashtag Church 2. She's the person who, along with another woman, started the Church 2 hashtag movement that's really taken off. She's got a book coming out. We're going to talk to her about it. What she's going to talk about on that show is that there are ways in which sometimes our theology is going to lead to these things. Specifically, if women are primarily there just for the pleasure of men and that they don't have any agency, this kind of thing's going to happen. So there are ways in which we have to actually also reevaluate what we're teaching. That's really important to us on this podcast. Again, we say over and over. Even if that's not the message that you were trying to teach, it's the message that's received. That's coming across, right? right? So this this overemphasis, this this emphasis on women being subordinate to men Mm -hmm. is having a lot of these negative implications. The authoritarian ideology embedded in some reformed context, like Doug Wilson kind of being okay with a pedophile at his church getting married. This, you know, pedophile who says that he gets turned on by his own baby and that like, well, we're going to forgive him for like, but get him out of the situation for goodness sake. This is, this is what you see with, with uh, Bill Gothard, Bill Gothard accused of inappropriate relationships with teenage girls. Okay. And I'm only saying an inappropriate relationship because I don't want to get sued because I haven't figured out exactly, you know, I got to go back whenever I, whenever I think of these things, I kind of put them in a little box. And tuck them away. I don't want to think about them all the time. But I mean, what the heck is going on with all these cats over and over and over again? There's a there's a common theme. It's not Christianity. It's narcissism. It's celebrity status. And it's a kind of Christianity that actually glorifies this kind of person. Right. You're going to keep getting it. As long as you have narcissists that don't really play by anybody else's real rules, they're not going to play by God's rules or man's rules. And I don't mean to be gender specific, but in this case, the man, (laughs) you know, (laughs) when the government is telling you what to do. Number nine, let me read these real fast just to get us through. Number nine, he says, uh, this is Kyle, what are some of the public signs to watch for? He says, exaggerated praise. That's what I was talking about. Leaders will praise other leaders as heroic, amazing, and prophetic when they do baseline stuff, like call racism bad. So when you see somebody try to normalize the abuse or wicked, wicked deeds of another celebrity leader, that also is a sign to watch out for. So what he's saying is if you see somebody who's high-fiving people in this kind of sycophantish way, that's a problem. Other examples, number 10, he says, passive-aggressive support. When one of their peers are called out for their toxicity, they will post passive-aggressive statements of scripture to try and defend them. Usually something like Proverbs eighteen seventeen. they'll present this idea that accountability equals antichrist, uh, holding people to that. Well, uh, go follow Kyle Howard. We'll link to his uh, handle there. But um, one but thing he, I do want to mention, though, yep. back up to point number nine. Yes, um, <laughs> is when they were saying like, okay, the exaggerated praise, but like when they are doing baseline, like baseline stuff, like calling racism bad. So, yeah. like, of course, racism is bad, right? Yes, but like, yeah. So this good job. So it's like unnecessarily praising people just for what norm like people in society normally say and you you know you say something like this i mean and anyway although kyle kyle's black and i appreciate there is this weird way in which if you know the depths of certain church bodies uh potential for racism and you know how like in in the case and i'm not trying to to push back against kyle cause right but like in in the case of of lutheran church world that we're in Mm -hmm. there are times when i will say to people i don't know heather will say to people hey thanks for standing out on this one because there there's a group of people that are out to get anybody that sounds like oh if you're talking about racism then you must you know this is you're infecting the church with critical race theory and we're going to come we're going to come cancel you no i and it is necessary (laughs) to say some of these things but it's it's actually kind of sad that even something like that right that we have to be all like yeah good job right it's a sign it's a red flag as he's saying yes now 
here's the part where we're going to have fun. We're going to have a little exercise. We're going to go to classroom with Dr. Mallinson, all right? So um, a lot of colleges teach critical thinking in their core philosophy class. We've done this ourselves. Uh, I've done it. Um, there are many, many informal fallacies, and all the lists are a little bit different. You can look them up online. But we're going to look at eight informal fallacies and then illustrate them with an actual tweet from an actual human being. Here we go. So number one, red herring. There is some allegations that suggest you may be guilty of being a racist and only going after him because he is Indian. Henry. Again, I'm drawing all of this from comments on Steve Boffman's YouTube page when he had his video about the more recent allegations against Ravi Zacharias. These are people pushing back against so him. So basically this person is saying, you're just going after him because... Maybe you're just going after him just because he's Indian. Right. So they're, they're accusing uh, Steve Boffman of being racist. Uh, but anyway, so what is the red herring? This is where you're diverting people from the real issue. You're, you're saying, okay, I can't, I can't win this argument, so I'm going to kind of throw you off the trail into something else. And it's named after this idea that you could have this stinky fish. You're trying to train a, a hound dog to follow a fox or a rabbit or something. And the red herring is going to divert them. You want to teach the dog not to be distracted by the red herring. You want to keep them on the on the the goal that they've got. And and this is this is totally easy. Just just it's smoke and mirrors. It's just distraction. Number two, two quoque, which is two wrongs. So the two wrongs or two quoque fallacy is one that I would say happens a lot in in our marriage, <laughs> <laughs> and we both do it right. Where you'd say, "Don't do this to me," and I say, "Well, you do it, right?" So I'm gonna. I'm going to point out your sin. This one is so common. And, and this is also another one from Henry. And here's the example. I'm pointing out that I or even anyone else can also start looking into your own life details and pick you apart as a fraud. This is a thing that does kind of scare a person, right? You're like, okay, well, now they're going to... And I know this. If you come at somebody, they're, everyone's going to start coming at you, right? Now... I will say that the game isn't to just try to find dirt on people. That's what the Scientologists <laughs> do. The game, if it's a game, is to say, um, if something is blatant, blatantly problematic, let's identify it and call it out as such so that we can mitigate any problems from it. It may be that our friend Steve Boffman, I call him a friend, we just met, you know, <laughs> but I mean, if Steve Boffman is, is going to uh, turn out to be fraudulent in his banjo playing... <laughs> It really is. It really is irrelevant. It really is because what he's saying. I mean, what he's saying about Ravi is is the truth. Period. Right. right? I mean, unless he's unless it's turning out that he's lying, but what he's pointing to are facts that you can double check with with Cambridge University with mm. really so, Ravi Zacharias Ministries' own report. Right? right. So number three, poisoning the well, a particularly common type of evangelical polemic. This is this is kind of you know a form of ad hominem, which we're going to get to in a second, or an attack against the person. But I wanted to call it out as a separate one. Poisoning the well is where you say, I, you can't believe anything this person is saying, even though they have good arguments, because um, of what they represent, what they're a part of, who, who they are, what their identity is. So this example is from Teresa Coleman. It says, fake News. All caps fake. All caps <laughs> fake news. <laughs> we don't take into, sorry, we don't take our info about the brethren from self-identified atheists, friendly or not. The devil is a deceiver and father of lies. He accuses believers. The man is before his God today. Let God handle Ravi. Interesting that Teresa is like so intense about this. Although I have to say, I, I know it's, you're probably saying, we're done with the politics. We're so glad all that's over. Yes. But, but can we at least just reflect for a moment on how absurd it was that any time some evidence would come out, it could be audio evidence of something that, that happened in politics, then the true believers would just shout fake news. <laughs> I mean, can we just, can we not let that happen again, friends? I mean, I don't care if we're on different sides of the political aisle, all right? Can you just can you and me, can we just not do that right. that fake news that business? If it's CNN that said it, well, maybe CNN got it wrong. But we've been watching the news. We watched the Fox News. We watched the MSNBC. We kind of not anymore. We're done with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd kind of look at how they're covering different things, and the fact is they did cover different things. 
that's that's a problem. Yeah. But the stuff they were covering, you can kind of interpret it. You know, you could watch Fox News and say, mm, I see where they're going with this. Mm-hmm. But you also have to realize that they're they're usually bringing some kind of nugget of fact that they're going to be interpreting and CNN is going to do the same thing. Right. And, I, and, and this one, I mean, we hear it way too much. So the devil is a deceiver and father of lies. He accuses believers. So almost like just by making an accusation against one of our people, you are now of the devil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is very scary line of thinking dear know? jeff and stacy why are you so hung up on this oh thank you for asking uh you listener must be of the devil must be of the other that was something that was said to me when i was first went to church so when i was in seventh grade mm-hmm. i went on my first short-term mission trip to mexico we've talked about it on the show i believe but this is where i um i came across a a woman a Pentecostal woman who ran an orphanage mm-hmm. that was creepy and weird, and I just knew that this was no good. And um, and she was lengthening legs and levitating people, and all the dudes were off, and all, of course all the women were back at the orphanage cooking because that's you know what teaching evangelical <laughs> women what their job is. I came back early because I was getting a little uh, you know petered out from running around playing soccer. I came back. Um, and I and I and I saw that there was a problem. There was an exorcism going on. Some gal was catatonic. It was all catastrophic. And I said, you know, to the to the to the to the lady chaperones, church, there yeah. were the there were the no, there were the uh, church mm. chaperones, and then there was the lady who was from America but that lived in Mexico running the orphanage. I, I said, we need to get our 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 students, these middle school students, away from this lady right now until the youth pastor comes back, because this this seems like she seems like she ain't no good. And these parents at my church turned on me like that. They didn't know this woman. They turned on me instantly. They said, this is a woman of God. That's exactly what the devil would say, Jeff, that you're accusing this woman of something. And I said, listen, she just get, this is creepy. This is no good. And um, then we left. A few years later, it turned out she was trafficking the kids. Now, I did not see that. I just saw other red flags that said, this woman is a charlatan, a weirdo. But it never... It, I never let go of that that one thing that immediately as a seventh grader, they should have been helping me. They should have been protecting me. They should have been protecting my noggin and my spirit and my emotions and whatever. They did not. They weren't helpful. They immediately became suckered by the hustlers. And I realized then, oh, well, they were like, you know, well, well upstanding members of our community and the church and real estate and so forth. And if I can't trust them, we got to go back to the drawing board yeah. and start studying how to, how to think critically about this stuff. Um, but anyway, yeah, just, just simply using the devil card is t- all too easy. Yeah. Number four, equivocation. This is where you apply different definitions to a single term in an argument. It's like saying, well, do you love pizza? Yeah, well, why don't you marry it, right? Well, you're, you're using love in two different ways, and you're trying to, that's not really an argument as much, but, you know, it's, it's where we see people using a term in two different ways, and, and I think this is a great example of it. So here's the example. We are all sinners, which is why we need Jesus Christ. The charges, if true, change nothing. For sure, Ravi was a sinner like all of mankind. I'm not sure what the point of your video is. I pray that one day you find the way, the truth, the life in Jesus Christ. Good day, sir. <laughs> Good point, day, sir. Point of peripety. That's the name of the, the, the person. Um, I'm sure that nobody named her or him point of peripety. Now, um, this is maybe, you know, not your best example of the informal fallacy, but it is a great example of what comes up often. All sins are the same. Yeah. Right? You not doing enough to fight racism in your community is a sin of omission, and it's a real sin. You should take it seriously. But I don't need to hide my children from you, (laughs) okay? Um, We all make mistakes. We all do bad things. We all get grumpy. We get angry. We all don't break into people's houses and stab them in the eye. So, yes, everyone's a sinner. Um, Richard Ramirez needs to be in jail. He needs to be removed from the populace, okay? We We can send chaplains in there to minister to to Richard Ramirez, he's dead now. But you know, um, no S- sinner is yes. This is a kind of a you're off track. Yes, yes. Sin is a great word. You're off track. You're missing the mark. You're not doing it right. You're wrong headed. It's misguided. 
There's also cruelty, abuse. There's also what we call criminality. Criminality. There's also sexual assault. There's also, um, there's also fraud. Yeah. And if you can't see that, if you if you're equivocating on this, this, this they, word and they set, have different sentences. Once you get yeah. caught, you know, there's different, there's different. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna do this, but point of peripety, I, I wonder if you have like a, like a nice place down in Newport Beach. I'm gonna steal your your lawn furniture, and I'm just a sinner. Yeah, no. So just forgive me for it. Don't 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 mention my name to anybody. We're just gonna I'm just gonna help myself to your fr- No. You're gonna call the police point of peripety. <laughs> and that's really the whole point too is that we when we allow the people that we know are going to commit these acts and hurt other people and we allow them to continue. Yeah. Then we become complicit complicit in the whole thing i love and how we, we answer each other's sentences <laughs> some people don't and i don't actually like it <laughs> sorry but, and uh, but that and that's and that's the real problem folks right? by labeling it just oh we're all sinners and that you know we've all sinned and we all fall short nope some people need to be removed from the ability to hurt other people period anyway <laughs> Number five, begging the question. The Latin phrase for this is petitio principii. This is where you, you're assuming your conclusion in the, the argument itself, right? It's um, begging the question, you know, often people will say on CNN, well, that begs the question. No, what they mean is that raises or that leads to the question of blank. Begging the question is um, circular reasoning, Okay. Read this uh, this long quote from Mikey Strikey. I'm sure that's not his real name, Mikey Strikey. It says, to support these accusations, first I have to dismiss the following legitimate, relevant question. Why would a man of godly moral standard, a man with so much to lose in heaven and on earth, who is able to answer every religious question asked of him and able to defeat all opponents, even the elite, who has a wife and three lovely children, indeed a godly man if I ever saw one ordained by the highest authority in heaven, dot, 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 all caps for all of the sentence, throw it all away by doing these things he's accused of. End of the caps and says, maybe there is a reason, dot, dot, dot. I just can't see it yet. Wow. This one doesn't make me mad so much as it makes me so sad. You're like, oh, so he he can't be, he can't be, immoral because he's moral <laughs> and because he had so much to lose if he were immoral that never happened bill clinton <laughs> you know ted haggard oh uh, i mean and it everybody really, it is really it is really sad because unfortunately you know there is a lot to lose when these situations do occur and and there's so much hurt and pain that happens yeah for all of it there's so like his family has to feel the effects of this sin yeah the victims families feel it i mean there's so much the ripples there's the seismic tremors that blast through this whole world it's never just about you folks yeah when when this type of thing happens here's the other thing though that here's the other thing that was just silly about the robbie zacharias thing from the beginning he was so this this is why i didn't like him from the beginning because I thought it was a silly idea that you're going to go around being smug. <laughs> I'm, well, you can't defeat my argument, elites. Um, he wasn't really debating the elites. I don't know. This is the, this is the illusion. This yeah. is the illusion everybody gets. Like, there are certain apologists that can always out-argue me or somebody else who is going to have, like, well, I haven't, I haven't spent all, all year memorizing the quick facts about this mm-hmm. matter, you know, like... Um, what does the Bible say about a global flood or something? You know, it's like, uh, I kind of think personally like this, this idea of a global flood isn't entailed by the Bible, but I got to go back and read it. I think it makes more sense for it to be in the Mediterranean, you know, and mm-hmm. oh my goodness. Well, somebody's got a whole bunch there for me. That's great. But I guarantee you that, that some of these cats, there are things that they're not dealing with, with the, with the, just, just what historians wrestle with with respect to inconsistencies in the Old Testament. I'm not saying that they're right. defeating the Old Testament. I'm just saying I watch the simplicity, the facile nature of this apologetic work. And in the long run, intellectuals, they end up not, I think, entertaining the Tao of Jesus enough, the way of Jesus, 
this kingdom of God. They don't entertain it enough because when these arguments are not entirely above board, and some of Ravi's were not, that's exactly. Then, then you were like, well, do I believe any of it? Right, and that's exactly where where Steve Boffman found himself. Yeah, he didn't really see some of. He's like, hmm, if this guy is really Oxford or train or Cambridge trained, right. I don't think he'd be producing some of these arguments. I don't think it would mm. sound like this. This doesn't sound like somebody that has been properly trained in some of this stuff. And the evangelical apologetics game is like, look, this person's got a doctorate from so such and such, and then, you know, therefore we can trust them. We're saying, if you're interested in apologetics, friends, this doesn't work. That it may make you feel better about your faith. You might feel really like you don't have to worry about some of these objections, but in the long run, when somebody scratches some of the weaker arguments, your faith is going to be more imperiled than it would be if you just let yourself be open to truth. Right. Because we believe in love. We believe in the way of Jesus and we don't have to be contorted to get there. Right. Because we believe that the truth will prevail in the end. We don't have to, God doesn't need us in that way to make him, we're, we're not the defense lawyers for, for God we would, in, in like the, in the sense of like, we're having to make stuff up for him. We wouldn't do it right. And we would, it would be a terrible disaster. Although we should see what we could do if we could get like, just put uh, Cohen, you know, uh, Trump's old uh, uh, lawyer, oh, just like put him in, into like a seminary and see if he can learn. Oh, gosh. That'd be kind of funny. Like it's anyway, no, All right. Number six, appeal to the stick. Argumentum ad baculum. Uh, this is where you say, believe, believe this or else. What does peace shimre say? This is how the atheists prove that there is no God, by accusing an innocent man. You are dead wrong. The day of judgment is coming for you. Beware, you have been warned. Don't mess with them. You're going to hell. Number seven. This is the real one. Ad hominem. Arguing against the person. Arguing against the person. This is kind of, you know, related with this idea of poisoning the well. Um, they're arguing against Steve Boffman by just attacking Steve Boffman. Though, I wanted to turn to Ann Thompson, who was sacrificed by the evangelical world. The evangelical world, to defend Ravi Zacharias, also had to trample the name of a woman. And even if you thought she did two or three things wrong in her life, that is not proper form. You do not trample a potential victim so that you can protect your edifice. That is woe. Whoa, a thousand times whoa. What does Megan Joy say about Ann Thompson? The alleged sexting scandal was initiated by a couple who had previously lost a lawsuit against an Ontario against an Ontario pastor over financial advice. <laughs> so are we pretty sure that Ann Thompson's lawsuit was groundless? <laughs> does that have anything to do with the case at hand? It does, you know, in a court of law, it relates to character, right? If you can show that somebody has a, a habitual nature of this, um, that quote, that statement from Megan Joy came a little late in the game. Yeah. Why don't, before you say that, why don't you just read the reports? Right. Why don't you look at what's going on here? And then finally. Number eight, a unique reformed worldview takedown attempt. This is not an informal fallacy, but this is... Um, this is to conclude all of these, uh, this is maybe something that I will name, or maybe you, dear listener, can think of a, a good fallacy to label this, but you'll see it when you see it. Stacy, read the quote, please. And this is from Jeff Vines. It is difficult for me to take this seriously because as an atheist, is it not true that you deny objective moral values? If Ravi is guilty, has he committed a moral wrong? While I would say yes, is it not true that you have no objective point of reference to make such a claim? Moreover, if we are the result of, a, of atheistic evolution, does Ravi or the accusers have any real value that needs protecting? It seems to me that you are undermining your own worldview. You are assuming absolute moral categories and absolute value and worth while proclaiming an accidental universe. Therefore, I must assume that your motivations are purely vindictive. I'm not sure what other conclusions I can draw. <laughs> this is this worldview um, uh, approach to apologetics where you can't prove that Christianity is true in the positive sense, but you can untangle or you can tangle people up in their own worldview. You can show them the inconsistencies of their own worldview. 
This has nothing to do with the allegations. I don't care if he's a relativist. I don't care if he believes in, um, in capital punishment or not. Um, the idea that this sexual abuse allegation has anything to do with Jeff Vines trying to convert or to at least shut the mouth of this atheist, Steve Boffman, is, I would argue, in terrible form. <laughs> it's just in terrible form. And friends, that's not the game. I know that like there's a lot of Calvinists that like to do this, and you know, there's something valuable to the argument to say your inconsistency in your worldview is is worth noting. But boy, oh boy, you're going to use this as an opportunity to try to just do a little bit of uh, apologetics jujitsu on somebody who's raised a real concern. This is the Dungeons and Dragons of religion, friends. If you're in Christianity, if you're in Christian circles, it's fun. You get deep into it. You're arguing about the transubstantiation and predestination and eschatology and kenosis. Also, friends, there's the, there's the world that we live in where people are vulnerable and in danger and people are defrauding people. And people are sexually abusing people. And guess what we'd like to do first? Let's fix that. And then when everything, then we can maybe settle down for a second. Then maybe we can have our arguments, you know, in a house about predestination. That's great. That's what I, I do. I'm an academic, right? We talk about stuff. But friends, don't let that smoke and mirrors get in the way of cleaning up the systems and the protocols and the general understanding about values and critical thinking that is important for us because here's, here's why we exist, friends. Hey, support us if you'd like. <laughs> Go to Patreon. Go to our website, protectionoggin.org. Become, become just like five bucks. Just give us a high five. We do this stuff. We train people. We go out. We do stuff behind the scenes. What we care about from now till the end of our careers, as far as I'm concerned, is to help people learn how to protect their minds from the manipulation of these evildoers. Right. And we've seen it too much. That's what we're here for. That's what we need you to spread the word about. That's not the only thing to talk about, but that's what we're here at Protect Your Noggin to talk about. And when you start to see some of this stuff, you know, when you start to recognize and see these these six sick lines of reasoning or, you know, going in and blaming the victims themselves, mm. you know, now, you know, you're, you're equipped with some of this stuff to realize, wait a minute, this is not the answer. This is not the approach. And we need to do something different about it. We are better than this. And when you do, when you finally are able to do some of that, you will be able to find a deep peace upon peace. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said that wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter no too much.